so focused on Kiss of the Spider Woman. Oh, the burdens of fame. The student has become the master. <laughs> Listen, we're extremely powerful, Kelly. Welcome to Up Yours Downstairs, the podcast that's not even supposed to be here today. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. We are properly married. 37? <laughs> okay, we're not actually covering Clerks today. We're not, and you're welcome. Yeah. God, that was, like Clerks is already like a podcast about Clerks, like as it is. <laughs> Yeah, but hopefully those of you who are either thrilled or dismayed that Kevin Smith seems to have begun work on Clerks 3. Uh, uh, good luck with that. Yeah, great. Yeah, no, we are, are back for more Downton Abbey's Series 3 recapitulation. Yeah, this is either going to be part two of two or part two of three. <laughs> we don't yet know. But we do know it's part two. Right. Yeah. So mark that down. Attack of the Clones. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, we've already titled this episode. Well, yeah, but uh, we'll we'll see what Grand happens. Grand Canadian Funkadelic. That's right. <gasps> oh, Sadie and the Hotheads. I wish <laughs> that was your name. Anyway, that's enough Sadie and the Hotheads bashing for one day. Let's get back into our recap. <laughs> Let's do it. All right, so the next arc that uh, we come across in our journey here is Downton Abbey is in Danger, Part 2. <laughs> Much like this podcast is part two of an unknown number. So Lord Grantham, as you'll recall, uh, insisted, insisted, mind you, that uh, Matthew would be co-owner of Downton Abbey and not just giving him all his money with no strings attached. This turns out to be quite the fortunate thing, as apparently Lord Grantham has invested the entire fortune in scratch-off tickets in an Etsy store. Hey! Those gizmo-shaped knitted hats are a great investment. <laughs> well, I'm sure they are. And well, and presumably also they could uh, sell off some of those cat embroidery that... Uh, oh, yeah, they could. Yeah. That's actually not a bad idea for them. <laughs> That's true. Although it may not meet the scale that they need That's to true. keep McGee up their... can only embroider so many cats. <laughs> <laughs> Before she gets tired. I've embroidered all day and I'm still not finished. <laughs> So, yes, Matthew does not like this plan, and he's just spends quite a while trying to find a polite way to tell Lord Grantham that he's an idiot. Mm-hmm. You know, that... <laughs> Surprisingly difficult. Yeah, yeah. It, it is a challenge, and, you know, Lord Grantham certainly isn't interested in hearing it. Even through the death of Sybil that I don't think we've talked yeah, about yet. Yeah, we'll be, like, spoiler alert. <laughs> right. Sybil's gonna die. Yeah, she's, she's gonna die. It's gonna be sad. But... Uh, even as she is dying, Matthew is still trying to get the estate in order, uh, having a meeting with uh, Murray. Always a pleasant sight, Murray. Right, and I'm like, dude, I understand. You know, I understand, like, not necessarily like wanting all that to happen while Sybil's dying, but also, like, guess what? Right, like Sybil's dead. The rest of you have to live somewhere. Right, and Murray was right there. Mm-hmm. What are you going to talk to Murray about other than you know Murray-related activities, like such that- as mustache combing and oh. mustache waxing? Right, and also his mustache club, <laughs> and occasionally the finances of the estate. Right, sure, Murray stuff. We all know what's most important about Murray: his mustache. That's correct. He is the walrus. <laughs> he is. Suck it, Paul. <laughs> 
So yeah, Mary fights with Matthew about that. Again, one of the many, many bizarre fights they have in the season. But basically everybody, even Mary, is essentially on Matthew's side as as things develop. Uh, the only person who's on Lord Grantham's side is the estate agent. Uh, do you remember his name? Was it like Raleigh? Yeah, something like it that. It wasn't, though. Jenkins? Might have... Jen- it was something... Jun- Jar, uh, Jar, Jarvis? Jar, Jarvis, 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 Jarvis. <laughs> Good work, team. <laughs> that was that this was has fun. Been Downton Abbey character name word association <laughs> available in stores for nine ninety nine. <laughs> you can play at home. You can. Yes, uh, but he resigns. Jarvis does because somebody criticizes him once. Mm-hmm. So way to go, Jarvis. Well, it's also it's just so ridiculous. It's like, dude, money's money. Right. If you're spending more money than you're bringing in, that is bad business. Right. Look, speaking as someone who, as a comedy producer, has been spending more than I've been taking in, (laughs) believe me, that's bad business. Yes, it is. And it would seem, you know, Jarvis, you, yeah, you had one job, Jarvis. So he walks out, leaving Lord Grantham entirely isolated and very cranky. Which is, you know, pretty common. (laughs) Yes. Uh, but this turns out to work great because that leaves the job open for Branson, which is great because he's not really rich, but they can't spit on him. So (laughs) (laughs) they finally found a slot to fit him into their lives. And eventually Branson uses his Irish charm to win Lord Grantham over to the cause of not losing all their money. Mm -hmm. And, uh, they all play cricket and laugh. So... You know, so uh, bully for the dudes, I guess. <laughs> right. That was that was the entourage moment. It really was yeah. to a disturbing degree. It really was. Yes. It's like Julian Fellows was like, "Oh, I found this delightful program. It's about these chaps in Hollywood. <laughs> they get everything they want with no conflict whatsoever." <laughs> yeah. Don't. There's this charming agent of theirs. <laughs> Somebody needs to take those DVDs away from him. It's like letting Dick Wolf read a newspaper. <laughs> it is. Don't let Julian Fellows watch HBO shows. It'll only give him ideas that he can't execute properly. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> yeah. Don't let him any- watch anything except season one of Town <laughs> yeah, yeah. That... That is actually really good advice. Yes. So, uh, Julian Fellows' people, I know you're listening. Right. Make this happen. Listen, we're extremely powerful, Kelly. Duh. <laughs> Hello. I just crushed an aluminum can with my bare mind. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, that's actually pretty impressive. I know. I just meant more influential, but I that's, that's not bad White either. School of Telekinesis. That's, that's great. That is going to come in handy for, uh, everything well that's true really yeah i don't ever have to move if only my telekinesis could help me to exercise more Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) you can move everything except yourself (laughs) it's really really true and sad (laughs) yes uh so yeah so for that arc we had some uh fairly high repetitiveness on that one you know, especially on Lord Grantham's part, people kept saying, what if we didn't lose all the money? And he kept saying, Wah! losing all the money is my favorite thing to do. Right. So that that was high. The thematic interest was, was pretty solid on this one. Uh, you know, it was just, I mean, this is the whole point of the show is 
the decline of this lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it was, you know, this is sort of the most direct uh, arc in that sense. And, yeah. uh, you know, to an extent, the same deal with the, the women versus men thing, how all these women are just, you know, have no control over whether or not all their money will be lost yeah. by Lord Grantham. You know, they can... They can make their case, but they can't. They can't stop. Well, them. and again, this is where Edith's arc is interesting because Edith is now putting herself in a position where she can make her own money. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, in a fairly significant way, I would think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. It's hard to say. I don't know, but I guess you know, if she just had enough to get an apartment in London, and she still had her name, even if you know, like it, say they lost all their money, mm-hmm. and she was pretty much just going on her writing salary, and you know, presumably a, she would have some kind of fund left over. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I guess that'd be all right. Yeah, you know, basically a middle class lifestyle, but with with the title. Mm-hmm. So yeah, all right. Well, good luck, Edith. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yes. Was there a character behaving obstinately for no clear reason? Yes, indeed. Lord Grantham. Take a bow. (laughs) Night is over. That's right. The masquerade is getting over. (laughs) Uh, Sure. Or older. I don't know the words to that song. I don't know that song. It's by Madonna. So are many songs, Kelly. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, does anything change? Yes, definitely. Uh, Downton Abbey's future is secure and hopefully, like, for good. Yeah, I'm super tired of this kind of plot line. Yeah. Like, it's freaking called downton abbey right we get it already yeah it's at downton abbey yeah that's the end of it <laughs> right don't you're not you're not fooling anyone you know no <laughs> and also uh it it gets branson established in the new position that he'll be yeah. in so next up we have the arc of thomas and jimmy and ivy and daisy not to be confused with the natalie wood movie bob and carol and ted and alice yeah which i've never seen but i have seen the poster for and it looks saucy (laughs) it does so jimmy kent is a newly hired almost as saucy as jimmy kent (laughs) jimmy kent is a newly hired and saucy footman (laughs) who is just charming as can be he sure is he is quite charming yeah carson calls him james refuses to call him jimmy but everybody else pretty much calls him jimmy yeah because look at him yeah he's clearly a jimmy yeah he's like no 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 james is my father (laughs) uh ivy is a newly hired kitchen maid and daisy likes alfred o'brien's nephew who I think we covered before. Yeah, we did. Okay. So Daisy likes Alfred. Alfred likes Ivy. Ivy likes Jimmy. Thomas likes Jimmy. And Jimmy doesn't appear that interested in anyone apart from himself. Right. Which is sort of, to me, kind of the interesting thing about this whole thing is that Jimmy really doesn't seem interested in a relationship with anyone. No. He's flirty all the time, but not, he has no interest in pushing beyond that. Yeah. So Thomas does his best to indicate his interest in Jimmy and O'Brien convinces Jimmy to encourage his advances, mm-hmm. you know, not characterizing themselves, like, not characterizing it as, like, you know, a gay thing, but just being like, oh, you know, you want to get in good with him because he's the valet to Lord Grantham. He's got his lordship's ear. Right. But Jimmy is, like, continually really uncomfortable with the way that Thomas is always, like, touching him. And, like, but Thomas is so nice to him. It just breaks my freaking heart. Yeah. Like, he's just so sweet. Yeah. Oh, he's, he's... Look, if Jimmy was, in fact, interested in a homosexual relationship, Thomas made a great case for himself. He really did. Yeah. Anyway, they have a very erotic moment winding a clock. Uh, (laughs) Surprisingly so. Yeah, it was really the sexiest thing that happened all season. 
It really was. It really was. Well, it wasn't trying. Yeah, yeah. Well, and plus, Matthew and Mary could never stop fighting long enough to have a sex scene that was, like, not creepy and weird. Yeah, yeah. And I guess they never will. Uh, so amidst all of this, there's also a continued debate about whether Jimmy or Alfred is the first footman, uh, because apparently this takes months to decide. Right. I don't understand why Carson's putting it off. Like, Right, exactly. Why not just pick... I mean, you know, you could presumably promote and demote later if you felt mm-hmm. like it. I mean, I think this is, again, one of those other things where Julian Fellows just counts on us not to notice the time that's passing between episodes yeah. you know which i think is probably fairly standard among serialized that's television true. but it does annoy me because yeah. it's always you know it's it's something where like the upstairs plot it makes sense that it's been six months but the downstairs one it doesn't or yeah. vice versa yeah yeah so uh lobster gets spilled on the dowager countess <laughs> oh, as a result of this rivalry over first footmanship yeah uh o'brien convinces thomas that jimmy is interested in him sexually uh when alfred takes ivy to a movie despite her repeatedly bald-faced stated preference for Jim, like yes these people are so mean to each other <laughs> yeah like they're so so mean about this love it's not even a quadrangle it's like a pentagon yeah yeah i love pentagon <laughs> pentagon's gone <laughs> anyway i was gonna try to sing a version of satellite of love but it didn't work that's fine at all i'm sorry everyone you'll just have to try to carry on <sighs> do your best <laughs> um yeah but like daisy is like ivy treats you like shit alfred and alfred's like yeah i genuinely don't care <laughs> and i find know, her incredibly beautiful apparently yeah even though i mean she's pretty much on par with daisy like yeah, i'd like, put a i'd put daisy a little bit above her i like, would as well like it's they're you know reasonably close but anyway so alfred takes ivy to the movies despite all of this and uh while they're gone thomas makes his move he goes into jimmy's bedroom and kisses him while he's sleeping uh now jimmy comes home at this point and decides to go into alfred's room i'm sorry alfred comes home yes and goes into jimmy's room because ivy said something like oh i would maybe go out with you alfred if jimmy said like explicitly to my face i don't like you at all yeah so Alfred, being a wise person, <laughs> right. decides to immediately go ask him in the middle of the night. Unfortunately, he walks in on Thomas kissing Jimmy, and Jimmy's horrified. Alfred's horrified. And, Everybody's horrified. Yeah. Oh, and poor Thomas is just like, but huh, literally everyone said this is fine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, Jimmy doesn't want to tell anybody, but O'Brien convinces Alfred to tell Carson, and then... Carson tells Thomas he should resign, and that frees up Bates' job for him as well. Now, O'Brien is not satisfied simply by Thomas's resignation. She takes Jimmy aside to demand that Thomas not get a reference from Carson. Right. Again, at the root of this conflict that has no root. Right. <laughs> now, Mrs. Hughes comes out and sees Thomas like crying after all this has gone down and she talks to him and takes his side. But Carson can't see a way out of it. Uh, fortunately, Bates, who's come back, then figures everything out and gets Thomas to tell him about the bar of soap mm-hmm. that O'Brien left under the bathtub for McGee to slip and have a miscarriage on. Right. So he uses that to blackmail O'Brien into convincing Jimmy to, w- to withdraw his threat of, you know, like telling the police about Thomas if he doesn't get a reference. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Or if he does get a reference. Right. Bates also brings in Lord Grantham on this whole not firing Thomas scheme. Right. Uh, who is so besotted by Thomas's cricket skills that he won't even let him resign. <laughs> right. Uh, but keeps him on as an underbutler. So the lesson here is that being gay gets you promoted in 1920s England, provided you know your way around a wicket. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, obviously this is like a very large uh, or, you know, dense plot arc. I mean, this, a, yeah, a I mean, this plot happens. arc goes almost all the way through the entire series. Yeah, it does. And I mean, there's even more going on in here. Like, I tried to sum it up, but like, this doesn't include Daisy's like, being mean to Ivy all the time. Yeah. Which is, which is so much fun to me, at <laughs> least. Um, just for no reason. Just out of spite and because she can. Uh, and yeah, and I mean, the, the, the whole... Well, and again, the the thing with O'Brien, like, get, like, she got him fired. Then she also has to make sure he never gets hired again. Mm-hmm. Like, that is just bizarre to me. Some people uh, go for the scorched earth policy, Tom. I guess so. Yeah, and the repetitiveness of the year is moderate. I mean, this is a soap opera, so there's going to be a lot of this sort of, you know, romantical back and forth, will they right, or won't they, and right. with whom thing. But the thematic interest is pretty high since we're looking at homosexuality through this glass uh, of, you know, almost 100 years ago at this point. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And also the importance of reputation and, and right. having your references in order. Is there a character behaving obstinately for no clear reason? Yes, most of them. <laughs> right. But I'm I'm willing to let it slide more in this instance because well, people do act like complete asshats when they're, like, interested in somebody. That's certainly true. I, I can't deny that. Uh, does anything change? Uh, not at all, actually. <laughs> right. Nothing in this really gets resolved except that, A, Jimmy is definitely, definitely not gay, apparently. Right. I still don't really believe it. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's not gay, but, like, nobody else really pairs off. You know, there's right, no... Right, right. By, by the end of even the, the, the Highland special, like, nobody's paired off. Right. You know, Thomas does get promoted, and it, so I guess, you know, the thing that gets resolved is... How will Thomas and Bates both have a job? Uh huh. You know, and all the new characters. Right. New characters. I know. I've had it. Who out there was asking for new characters? Nobody. Nobody at all. I assume. Well, except for, like, you know, we did want them, like, to put some black people on there. Yeah, but they didn't. <laughs> we weren't asking for a ginger footman. <laughs> <sighs> all right, the next arc we've got. Uh, Branson on the run. Branson on the run. <laughs> Branson on the run. Which I couldn't believe how much we'd covered, and we still hadn't even gotten up to the point where Branson appears from Ireland. Like, right. I can't believe all the things that have gone on. But okay. Branson flees Ireland, which is, according to this show, a very dark and confusing place. Uh Poorly edited. Right. Poorly. Uh, any of our cousins living in Ireland, do you... Uh... Do you find yourself poorly edited? Yeah. <laughs> so, we want to hear your story. <laughs> Can you not tell whose POV the camera is? <laughs> um, do you occasionally make phone calls from mysterious locations that you then leave as quickly as you arrive? <laughs> yes. And so Branson arrives at Downton Abbey during a dinner for the Archbishop of York. Is that kind of a big deal yeah uh not the, at least not the sort of person you want to be embarrassed by your redneck relatives oh no but uh but he doesn't nonetheless he 
uh, he helped burn down a house or he didn't and then he regretted it or maybe he, he did. He thought about it and didn't. then he thought that he did it with his mind. <laughs> right. Like his explanation of what went on is never really made that well, clear. This is I thought it was pretty clear. He was involved with, you know, the rebels in Ireland. Right. He went to a whole bunch of meetings. He was an advocate for, you know, not doing any sort of personal violence. But he yeah. was fine with destruction of property. But then when they went to this castle and burned it down and he like saw this rich family like standing outside watching <laughs> right. what I'm sure was one of like 10 residences <laughs> that they maintain. Like I never realized our rebellion would make rich people sad. Right? <laughs> Ugh, it's so freaking disingenuous. Yeah. No, the, it's uh, it's awful. So he decided to flee right. because he had second thoughts about, like, burning down rich people's houses. Right, I guess. But isn't it just that he thought he'd get arrested? And didn't he think going into this burning down the house plan that maybe he'd get arrested? Uh, that is not important to Julian Fellows, Tom. The important thing is putting Branson in a position where he can put on the shackles of the oppressor. <laughs> yes. Uh... Instead of casting them off. Yes. Which works out. Uh, Sybil is following later, apparently. Uh-huh. Because uh, they planned for this, I guess. But yeah, This was all covered very clearly, Tom. Well, but, but it was all covered clearly, but all of the explanations didn't make any human sense. Look. Like, if you try to reconstruct an actual set of events, it doesn't, it doesn't add up. It does if you make things up and put them where they should go in the gaps. All right. Fine. Anyway, Lord Grantham, after his usual harumphing, uh, heads down to London and pulls his rich guy strings and makes a deal where Branson won't get arrested as long as he never goes back to Ireland, uh, which is awfully convenient for the show Downton Abbey that has no interest in ever filming in Ireland yeah, again. Yeah, that's – well, again, considering how poorly they did it, I, I can't complain too much. Yeah, so a bit of a bit of a Grantham-esque machina there, but <laughs> – uh, yeah. Also, Branson doesn't feel like that conflicted. Like for he's conflicted I mean, for he's, like an episode, right? Like he's like, oh, that's a bummer, not being able to go to my homeland that I gave up everything for. Yeah, yeah. that I was like really dedicated to my child, like living in. And... Right. But uh, all right, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Repetitiveness, uh, pretty low, really. They pretty much zip through all this mm-hmm. bourgeois. <laughs> um. <laughs> Thematic interest, none. I, look, I'm so hostile towards this arc because he spent, you know, a season or two making it seem like he was interested in talking about Ireland and the Irish troubles and showing different perspectives on it. And then it came to season three and it was time to do that. And he was like, you know what? I'm actually not interested in that. Yeah. So I'm just going to zip Branson and Sybil back over here and and park him here. Yeah. I don't actually want to talk about Ireland. No, I agree. I really would have been interested to see yeah. what would have happened. You know, I would have liked some scenes of them in Ireland, which I never want scenes outside of Downton Abbey. <laughs> right. But I mean, just any idea of what their life had been like. Right. Like, I and I could be wrong, but I believe if you only watched series three, you would not know that Branson was a journalist. Maybe it gets mentioned once. It at the does beginning. get mentioned once. Uh, when they first arrive in the library, I think Sybil's saying to uh, Mac L. No, you she's think like, you're right. You know, she's like, Grandmama, he's a, a, a journalist. Right. But then, you know, you never hear about that again. He never. Well, I mean, I guess he wouldn't be able to get hired as a journalist in England, one would think, yeah. with his shady past. But, uh, 
what was he you know what was he writing there what was yeah, anyway we have a lot of questions we have a lot of are questions never going to that be are answered. never going to get answered you know this is clearly a, a bit of a um not retcon exactly i don't know what the term is but just this is a i've made a huge mistake yeah yeah plot fix that would be yeah like a 180 yeah yeah so behaving obstinately for no clear reason not really um really i wish branson had been more obstinate Mm -hmm. uh but he wasn't and does anything change yeah branson's not irish he's (laughs) well he's still an he's still irish technically uh he's not a journalist he's now a full-time main cast member estate agent at downton abbey right which you know i hate the way they got there but what the hell i like branson yeah might as well have him around i i don't you know i don't mind except on a political sense where he ended up and that's not important at all (laughs) right all right well before we press on we are going to jump back in to catching up on our correspondence with telegrams from our cousins. First up, we have a letter from Cousin Linnea. Hello there. You both are very talented and dedicated podcasters. Kelly, you are delightfully wicked, funny, and clever. Boom! (laughs) I first heard you as a guest on Boar's Gorn Swords and thought as much from then on. And fashion backwards is always enlightening. Tom, thanks for all your time spent mining Wikipedia for Tom Repeats History. It's most enjoyable. You're welcome. I have watched up to the middle of Series 3 so far, and Downton Abbey is such a marvelous show. I started listening to your podcast to get some more info on the show and was impressed with how thorough you are. On your Series 2 Episode 1 podcast, you were questioning something Mrs. Hughes said to Mr. Carson, I think, regarding brooms, and mentioned you had done some research to no avail. I own a book, The Little Big Book of Chills and Thrills, edited by Lena Tabori and Natasha Tabori Fried. It is a compilation of superstitions, curses, legends, etc. It actually sheds some light on broom superstitions. The passage reads as follows. With the superstitions surrounding brooms, it's a wonder honey housework gets done at all. You should avoid placing a broom against your bed because the broom's evil spirit will cast a spell on it. Don't let a broom sweep over your feet if you ever wish to be married and never step over the handle of a broom lying on the floor because it's believed to bring death. If you drop a broom, company will arrive. If you sweep trash out your door at night, it summons the visit of a stranger. And if you forget to sweep out the room where an unwelcome guest has stayed, that guest may return. To prevent additional bad luck, never take your old broom when you move. Purchase a new one or avoid trouble altogether and just use a vacuum cleaner. Unfortunately, no date or place is given for where these superstitions originated, but it seemed to tie in with what Mrs. Hughes was saying. Keep up the good work, Cousin Linnea. Right. Well, thank you. I'm trying to remember. I don't. What was it exactly that Mrs. Hughes said? Do you remember? I do not remember. Okay. Yeah. So I'm not sure if that gets covered. I will say the one article of furniture that I generally lean the broom against is our most troubled couch so yes. that there may be something to that one yeah never leaned it against the bed as far as i can recall oh so. i have oh oh yeah well oh. that explains everything doesn't it? <laughs> i guess it does uh, next we have a telegram from cousin mcsee who writes hi cousins i was glad to hear your comments about alfred's backlit appearance He looked positively demonic to me and i wondered if i was the only one can't wait to see the new horror film alfred Speaking of spinoffs, here's my new theory. They're slowly replacing all the characters with babies. Mark my words, this new heir will be named Matthew. Next season, Edith will have a love child with her editor, die in childbirth, idiot car accident, or some other way. The baby will be named Edith in remembrance of her, and so on. By season seven, it'll be Downton Abbey babies, just like that Muppet cartoon. Hooray! (laughs) 
Seriously, though, I cried when Sybil died. I cried when you guys talked about it. But when Matthew, Mr. Magoo Crawley died, I laughed. It was such ridiculous over-the-top melodrama. Finally, is it possible Baron Fellows deliberately slipped in a reference to Shaun of the Dead? There's a scene where Isabel approaches Ethel, who snaps out of a reverie, saying, I'm sorry, I was miles away. It rang a bell, and I finally figured out where else I had heard it. Penelope Wilton says it in Shaun of the Dead. Is Julian Fellows that cool? Eh, probably not. Keep up the great work, and it's nice to see you join Bald Move. Yours, etc., Cousin McSee. Yeah, I don't think Julian Fellows is that cool. I think it's just a common British expression. I think I think that's true. I I will but it's say, fun. like that's a fun little connection. That is a fun little connection, and I think I, uh, you know, I sort of feel like the British television and film community is a bit of a small world, and it's yeah, not, it definitely is. It, to me, it's not entirely inconceivable, though it does seem unlikely. It doesn't seem like it's something Julian Fellows would have spearheaded. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, yeah, well, we do know that the baby is named George now, so, right, so our, our fears slash hopes for <laughs> uh, Downton Abbey babies, uh, the jury's out on that one. Uh, listen, if anybody has some cute babies and some cute baby-sized <gasps> formal wear... Lord Grantham would have a little stuffed Isis, <laughs> like Gonzo had a little stuffed Camilla. Oh, man. So, yeah, uh, please feel free to create Downton Babies. Yeah, if you've got access to babies. <laughs> right. Make that happen. We would watch it. Yep. Next, we have a telegram from Cousin Mark. Dear Cousins, longtime cousin, first-time telegram sender. Love your podcast. It is my favorite non-NPR show by far, and the only comfort I have during the upcoming hiatus from Downton Abbey is knowing there will be some fashion backwards Tom Repeats history coming. I am writing to express my minor disappointment with the last episode. As one of the non-stoned cousins that enjoyed your Bacchano reference, I was very upset that we were not treated to Kelly saying the name of the train in her McGee voice. If I show you my droopy eye, would you consider having Lady Grantham mention the flying pussyfoot on your broadcast? Maybe she would even tell us it was delicious. Thank you again for all the laughs and tears, Cousin Mark. Cousin Mark, I can't believe (laughs) that I didn't say that. That's true. So, <laughs> won't you all come with me? I'm going on the flying pussyfoot. <laughs> it's the most modern train. <laughs> it, uh, it sure is. My traveling companion is named Jacuzzi Splat. The, 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 the rail tracer. Oh, there's no such <laughs> thing as the rail tracer. <laughs> Anyway, I, we could we could continue going. Right. You know. So that that was a lot of fun for you, me and cousin Mark. Yep. So <laughs> I hope everybody enjoyed this brief reverie that you got to take. Yes. You did not have to pay attention. Pay attention again. <laughs> All right. We're going back to Down Abbey. We're going people. back to Down Abbey. Yes. It's happening. <laughs> Next up is Rest in Peace Sybil. Yeah. Uh Sybil is due to deliver her baby and she and Branson are living at Downton Abbey. And at this, at that point, it is important to note that he's trying to figure out a way to get back to Ireland still. Like, right, right. Prior to her actual, like, labor. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Lord Grantham has decided to bring in a London doctor for the birth, lest his grandson be soiled by Dr. Clarkson's filthy middle class hands. It's understandable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want filthy middle class hands touching me. That's why you never touch me. Yeah, that's true. 
Uh, unfortunately, things are going badly for Sybil, and Clarkson thinks that Sybil has preeclampsia and should be rushed to the hospital for an emergency C-section to save the baby and potentially save Sybil's life. And Lord Grantham stands with Dr. Thingy against his entire family, but deigns to allow Branson to decide the care of his wife and child should receive. Uh, but before he can actually make a decision, the baby is born. It's a girl, and everybody's happy for a minute uh, until Sybil relapses and dies in front of her family and both doctors, none of whom can do anything to ease her suffering or save her life. Yep. It's incredibly sad. Yeah. It's really, really Really sad. It's hella sad, people. Uh, Cora blames Lord Grantham for Sybil's death, and the two are not on speaking terms until the Dowager Countess convinces Dr. Clarkson to say that even if his advice had been followed, Sybil probably would have died. And at that point, their relationship kind of gets patched up. Mm-hmm. Uh, repetitiveness is low. Nobody's died during childbirth before. Right. This is the first time. <laughs> and it's not like Sybil keeps dying of childbirth throughout the arc. It's like, oh, God. Oh, my God. They killed Sybil. <laughs> right. You Oh, it looks like she's being killed off in childbirth again. <laughs> uh, thematic interest is high. It's definitely one of the, the main arcs of the season. And it lays out in pretty stark terms the struggles of women for autonomy over, you know, their own lives. Yeah, their very lives. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, definitely on on point there, Baron Fellows. <laughs> Character behaving obstinately for no clear reason. Uh, Lord Grantham snobs his child into an early grave so that they guess. <laughs> But see, I don't know though. I I wouldn't say that it's no clear yes. reason. He he definitely thinks that you know Sir Philip Thingy is a better as, doctor. Yeah. No, as I said at the time, you know it's not it's it's the doctor's fault. Lord Grantham can't be faulted too much for listening to a doctor. Right. That's that's true. Uh, does anything change? Yeah, for sure. Sybil is dead, <laughs> and Branson is now a widower with a baby. Yeah. So big changes. Yeah. No doubt there. Yeah, and I mean, and this is, you know, this is one of the, the handful of arcs that are the reason we're sticking around for right, series Right, because that episode I mean, yeah. was so good. Yeah, just really, really one good. Of, one of the highlights, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it, it was, you know, not just the emotional impact, but it was, you know, a conflict that, that you know, generally made sense, even mm-hmm. if Lord Grantham was a bit weird about it. And, yeah. And, and yeah, it, it was just really good. So there's not much to say about it. Well done, old chap. Yes, indeed. Next, we've got Thoroughly Modern Edith. I'm sorry, everyone. I never got into Thoroughly Modern Millie, so I can't even sing anything right now. I don't even know what it is, really. Shut your <laughs> dirty little mouth. Anyway. So Edith has been jilted at the altar and is, is looking for some meaning in her life at this point, uh, partly from the uh, advice of the Dowager Countess. Uh, she ends up writing a pro-suffrage letter to the Times, basically saying, because at this point, some women had suffrage, but it wasn't equal. Uh, they weren't treated equally in that respect. Uh, and so she writes a letter to the Times, and the Times publishes it, much to Lord Grantham's dismay. He is, he is not at all... You could cut his dismay with a knife. <laughs> yes. So thick <laughs> is it on the ground. Right. Uh, it's one of really one of my favorite moments in the season is when is when he is reading that he reads the headline that says you know earl's daughter publishes pro-suffrage letter and edith's reaction to her that, face is so funny yeah yeah she's just so happy yeah and like but she's yeah. also just like surprised right right yeah so a, an editor at the daily sketch a mr gregson 
offers Edith a regular column on the strength of that letter. Uh, that she can write about whatever topics she wants and, and all that sort of thing. Lord Grantham again, uh, very dismayed. She accepts the job again, Lord Grantham, displeased. Yeah, this could have been called thoroughly dismayed Lord Grantham as <laughs> right. well. Uh, yeah, but she, she does accept the job. She's, she's a writer now. She's a journalist, much like Branson used to be. So we've heard. Oh, right. And Gregson is quite complimentary to edith after she comes down to london and to meet him and discuss uh he's complimentary both of her writing and of her womanly charms hubba hubba yeah uh he's he's quite interested in edith is what we're saying but she does some sleuthing around modern independent woman that she is and finds out that mr gregson is married uh he's got he's got a birth of rochester stashed away Uh basically in an asylum so she breaks off the relationship the personal relationship, not well, the professional one. Well, there doesn't appear one. to be that much of a relationship. Well, she right. So to say that she breaks it off, she she nips it in the bud. Yeah, would be a better way to put it. But he follows her all the way to Scotland to to pitch some woo at her and to make the case that his that his crazy wife should not be an obstacle to their love. <laughs> Which, as a crazy wife myself, <laughs> uh, I think that's awfully big of him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He makes his case to her and to Matthew, both of whom shut him down. But at the end, Edith, cha- Edith changes her mind and says that she does want to continue seeing him in some unspecified way. So they're they're still together, but it's left very up in the air what the relationship will consist of. I'm excited to see what oh, it will yeah. consist of. I hope doing it. <laughs> right. We all hope that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, we... we you know, I think we all agree it should have been left up in the air. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's nice to have something uh, to look forward to yeah. in season four. Indeed. Repetitiveness, uh, apart from Lord Grantham harumphing repeatedly, uh, which is, you, you can't get away from that. Yeah. Otherwise, otherwise pretty solid. Uh, the thematic interest, uh, high, obviously. Uh, women's rights being advanced. Social changes, people going to London, and also they actually do throw in another reference to World War One. It's mm-hmm. the only other time they do it, but uh, Gregson mentions when he's talking to Matthew. Well, and Edith writes that column about uh, right. the officers, right. so True. Edith appears to be the only one with any memories of the war, <laughs> right. now that Sybil is dead. Yeah, yeah, notably not including Matthew. Because Gregson's like, uh, you know, reminds me of the trenches or whatever. Matthew's like, the what? Oh, yeah. yes. Oh, the trenches. Oh, those belly things. <laughs> um, character behaving obstinately for no clear reason. Not really. Lord Grantham's obstinate, but it's just his, you know. Yeah, he's just obstinate. By virtue of being himself. Right. He just doesn't want anything to change. Yeah. And that's that's ever. his deal. But does anything change? Yes. She, Edith is now a writer and uh, and and a hoe, apparently. Oh, I don't even say that. Not even as a joke. Well, I just mean by the standards of her time. She's throwing <laughs> off convention. She's going to... I mean, she's no Rose, mind you. Yeah, yeah. But she's, uh, she's, she's dating a married man mm-hmm. now on, in some respect. That's true. And, you know... Mary would never do such a thing. Oh, no. Absolutely. Well, I mean, honestly, nor would Sybil. No, Sybil definitely wouldn't. Yeah. So, uh. Well, you know, you get the short end of the stick enough times, you have to, uh, adapt. Yeah. I mean, playing by the rules hasn't gotten her anywhere. No, and she played by the rules 
more than any of them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. And never got any compliments when they got back from the season. So yeah, yeah. No, I I really am very interested because the twenties were such a morally loose time, mm-hmm. comparatively speaking. Like, uh, it's something actually that I I was thinking about because I was listening to the original. No, I'm sorry, the revival cast recording. Uh-huh. Of uh, the musical Chicago, and that came out like in the seventies, like you know, mm-hmm. like you know, swinging was really in, and like all this stuff was going on. Right. And I mean, the the impetus for the whole plot is that Roxy Hart. Spoilers for the freaking musical Chicago. Like, <laughs> deal with it. Uh, she shoots her lover because he's leaving her, but she was, you know, she was married to this other guy. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because there's a line in the song nowadays toward the end when she says, in 50 years or so, it's going to change, you know, oh, but, oh, but it's heaven nowadays. I mean, the whole song is about how you can, like, sleep around, oh, right. drink, and shoot people and get away with it. <laughs> so great. Yeah. Um, no, but I, I didn't realize that, you know, when I was a kid, like, listening yeah. to the... Again, why was I listening to this as a kid? I wasn't allowed to read Babysitter's Club books with boys' names in the title. <laughs> and yet somehow I had memorized the entire soundtrack of Chicago by the age of 11. That's, But that's how kids are, though. Yeah, they that's find, true. They find the loopholes that the parents never thought about. <laughs> I never even thought to keep her from listening to the cast recording of Chicago, for God's sake. We were so focused on Kiss of the Spider Woman. <laughs> anyway... But I mean, the, the play is set in the twenties and then, mm-hmm. you know, in 50 years or so, it's the mid seventies right. and people are all into that shit again. They are. Just replace booze with cocaine. And, <laughs> well, time makes fools of us all. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. So that was a tangent, but I, I'm really curious to see how the moral and ethical battle lines get drawn up around this. Well, and it really seems like. That this series is kind of, or this, you know, that series three has been about transitioning from being Mary focused to being Edith focused. Uh-huh. Like that seems, she seems much more interesting I mean, going forward. If the show is called Downton Abbey, Mary has served her function. Right. As, you know, the extension of Downton Abbey or yeah. whatever. I mean, there's still going to be plenty of Mary stuff. Right. Well, and the good news for Mary is that uh, Matthew is dead. Yeah. Right. And that's not even so much as a slam on Matthew per se, uh, but just that she's, it, it gives her uh, something to be interesting, mm-hmm. you know, going forward because she, you know, she had the relationship, had the baby, everything was all set. And now there's room for her to develop in, in new and interesting ways. Can you even imagine how bitchy she's going to be to Edith now that Matthew is dead? <laughs> like, particularly if Edith is in this relationship with a married man. Oh. Mary is oh. going to flip her fucking shit. Oh, Mary's going to tell everyone. Mary's gonna, definitely going to tell everyone. Yeah. And she's just going to be a complete bitch about it. <laughs> she's going to write the Turkish ambassador. <laughs> the Turkish ambassador is going to be like, why me? <laughs> You probably don't remember me, but my <laughs> vagina, she would say vagina, <laughs> my vagina killed one of your ambassadors a few years ago. Oh, yes. The woman with the vagina. <laughs> <laughs> now I really want that to happen. <laughs> 
Next up, Matthew and Mary worry about their junk. Oh, yeah. Speaking of Mary's vagina. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to speak of Downton Abbey, to speak of Mary's vagina. That's not entirely untrue. I know. Yeah. So uh, during the drama with Sybil and her imminent death, mm-hmm. Dr. Thingy takes a moment out from killing her <laughs> to advise Matthew that his dick probably works, despite the fact that he was crippled for a couple hours last year. <laughs> Mary and Matthew are oddly bitchy to each other all season long and refuse to say why. Right. They have a couple of really, like, tense conversations about having kids right. that don't come off as A, in character, or B, sensical <laughs> right. the plot. You're like, yeah. why did... What is this a... Is this a short play that you're rehearsing? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> right. It's like, it's Are like. Are you trying to get into Rada? <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's like a, a parody of inexplicable British talkings. Yeah. Well, it is, it's exactly like that Eddie Izzard bit. <laughs> right. You know, a room with a view <laughs> from hell. <laughs> and he's like, I'm arranging matches. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so anyway, Matthew sneaks off to London toward the end of the series to see a fertility doctor, uh, his faith in Dr. Thingy, understandably shaken. Like, I, you know what? Fool me once. Right. I perhaps don't want your hands on my penis. Yeah. Uh, but who does he meet at the fertility doctor but Mary? Whoa. Mary, despite never having been crippled, was infertile or at least, you know, had some fertility difficulties. Right, something was happening. But the problem has already been solved by the time anybody hears about it. Yeah, so uh, awesome. And again, very serious. Does anybody out there have any gynecological know-how? I mean, because we've, we've had a few people write in and say it might have been like fibroids mm-hmm. uh, or just, you know, like a blockage in the fallopian tube. Yeah, that was what I... And I don't think this is one of the letters we're reading today. Maybe it is. But uh-huh. somebody was writing in saying, you know, they have to use like lasers <laughs> to do that okay in that case probably not with this stuff despite being fairly young and forward thinking uh, i doubt he was using lasers yeah probably not as they had not yet been invented exactly uh anyway the next year in scotland mary's pregnant uh everybody tells her not to do things but she does them anyway eventually resulting in a slightly mature but otherwise uneventful birth of a baby boy yeah. repetitiveness of this arc is high uh Especially because none of them make any sense until the arc is over. Right. It's like, oh, now all those scenes that made no sense make a very small amount of sense. No, it's like the sixth sense, only if it was <laughs> really, really even stupider. Yeah. Um, so, like, the happening? Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thematic interest is low. Uh, it's not really about gender differences or change. This it's- is literally, honestly, the most traditional arc. It's like, hey... We need to lock down our property. <laughs> yeah. Get that vagina in there. Yeah. Uh, character behaving obstinately for no clear reason. <laughs> that describes every aspect <laughs> of this arc. <laughs> Fun fact. I don't think we mentioned this last week. Tom did this. Right. Uh, normally, I do our show notes, but this has been delightful. <laughs> I just have really been enjoying his editorializing throughout <laughs> what he wrote. Yeah. Uh, does anything change? Yeah. Uh, Mary now has a baby. Downton has another heir lined up, and it's not entirely clear what's going to happen to Mary. Right. Seriously, can you be the Dowager Countess if you were never the Countess? I uh, I don't. I'm just so... I think you can. You can be the Queen Mother without having been the Queen. Okay. Right? I think so. You're just the queen's mother, I always... Well, you know what? Are you the queen mother? (laughs) Have you had some experience with this? If so, (laughs) we'd like to hear your story. Yeah. No, it's... As 
as a uh, Downton Abbey podcaster, I really know nothing about, like, the royals. Yeah. Like, I know some. I know so... Well, because... I, I, I watched that episode of Animaniacs where they made fun of them. Which is fine, but it, it doesn't give me yeah, the Yeah, the Queen Mother was like, make him tea! <laughs> that was her deal. Which I'm sure is true. Well, yeah, actually, fond of tea. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next, we've got a mini-arc uh, that, I, that I call One Irish Baby. <laughs> <laughs> If only that monkey was around to help raise her. Uh, that would be handy. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. That... They could share diapers. <laughs> they could. I mean, not use diapers. That would be gross <laughs> and probably give Sybil Ebola. <laughs> right. I don't know what diseases you can get from sharing a diaper with a monkey. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope, I hope that nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. <laughs> uh, so Branson wants to name his baby Sybil after Sybil, uh, and wa- <laughs> right, the late and lamented Sybil, uh, and he also wants the baby to be baptized Catholic. This was always his plan, and actually is discussed uh, by Sybil in in. Yes, this the, was also Sybil's plan, right? In the, in the hours leading up to her death, she told some people that she was totally on board with that. Uh, Lord Grantham is very upset about both of these things, but nobody cares. Literally, I don't even know <laughs> right. why they bother. <laughs> right. Because the amount of impact that any of this had on anything, apart from like a bunch of scenes of Lord Grantham stalking up to someone and saying, have you heard the latest? And they're like, shut up, dude. I am trying to read. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, I will say that this uh, this season to an extent has a consistent theme of Lord Grantham's powerlessness in an odd way. Um, you know, I mean, he still runs everything, but his nobody cares when he gets upset anymore pretty much mm-hmm. you know certainly by the end of the series and this is a great example everybody's like well branson gets to name the baby and decide how it's baptized duh that's what parenting means yeah anyway the baby was baptized catholic and lord grantham has to stand next to a priest lol it's hilarious <laughs> um rolling on the floor laughing <laughs> right because he's not he doesn't like priests um Thematic interest is is all right. I mean, it's you know changing attitudes towards. Well, and to the extent that they do address any of the Irish troubles, you know, right. Lord Grantham's clear stated disdain for Catholics is part of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and does anything change? Uh, I mean, there's another Catholic in the house, but nobody's. I predict that nobody will ever mention that again. Yeah, well, not never, but it'll just be like, oh, like they're coming back from church or something. You know, right, right. And the baby's named Sybil, which, again, not particularly a fan of myself, but... But, you know, I like that they call her Sibby. Yeah, that's true. I, it doesn't, that, it, I think it bugs me less than it bugs you. I think that's true. Next mini-arc, Daisy on the farm! <laughs> Daisy gets invited to go see old Mr. Mason on his farm. Well, she's always... I think she goes oh, right, on the regular right. yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he makes her an offer to come and live with him, and he... I mean, regardless of whether she does, he's going to leave the farm to her mm-hmm. as his only, you know, tangential heir. Right. She's interested, but she's kind of undecided because uh, she thought she would work in service for the rest of her life. And Mr. Mason is like, uh, yeah, spoiler alert, <laughs> that shit's going south. Yeah. <laughs> so thematic interest is very solid. It's very solid. You know, it's very much about the changing times and, and the continual decreasing importance of the great houses. Right, right. Uh, does anything change? Good question. 
question. <laughs> there are two whole episodes plus the Christmas special after this development, which is a full year in Downton time, and it's like never mentioned again. Right. So we're wondering maybe if Sophie McShera was going to leave and then changed her mind. Right, because that's sort of how it's, it seemed like it was setting up uh, an exit path for mm-hmm. Daisy. It's like, oh, Daisy's off on the farm now. She's ha- <laughs> Daisy's off on a farm now. It's sunny. She's happy there. <laughs> Um, but, but then it, it just doesn't, cause I was really, I liked this a lot in the one episode it happened in. Right, right. And then it just disappeared and I was, I was sad. I wanted, well, I, I like old Mr. Mason so much. I do too. Every I wish time he, was he shows a up. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, back to telegrams from our cousins. First, we have a telegram from Cousin Ivy, who writes, Dearest Cousins Kelly and Tom, Greetings from your country cousin who's writing to you from the farm fields of Iowa. I'd been composing this telegram in my head for several weeks, but Kelly's comments in the Journey to the Highlands recap sent me straight to the keyboard, or telegraph key, if you will, to let you know a few facts about my fair state. Iowa's cuisine is exceptional, at least here in our capital city, Des Moines, which is about 10 miles from my farm, as long as you don't take into account all the deep-fried items featured at our state fair. And Kelly, we can help move your dreams of marrying Anna a step closer to reality, as the Iowa Supreme Court recognized same-sex unions three years ago. Ah, Iowa, finally as gay as Connecticut. Unfortunately, we can't do much about Anna being a fictional character. Blast! (laughs) Oh, it's a shame. Keep working on it, Iowa. (laughs) I know you've got a full schedule of fabulous recaps coming up, but I'd like to humbly suggest you recap the upcoming Masterpiece Classic presentation of Mr. Selfridge. I'm crazy excited about this series, as I've been reading a book entitled Shopping, Seduction, and Mr. Selfridge, detailing Harry Gordon Selfridge's life. He was a classic rags-to-riches-to-rags story, rising from a single-parent home in Wisconsin in the 1860s to essentially creating the modern department store at Marshall Fields in Chicago. He then went to London in 1909 to build the iconic Selfridge & Company on Oxford Street. He lived large throughout the 1920s, but his fondness for Baccarat, fast cards, and music hall dancers didn't really work out for him. Surprise, surprise. The cherry on top of this series for me is that Selfridge is played by Jeremy Piven. And if you think the end of the Downton Cricket Match episode looked like Entourage, I can't wait to see what this will look like. And I know you'd have plenty of fantastic insights into this series. Thus endeth my telegram to my dear cousins. Keep the fabulous episodes coming. You're snarky and educational, which is pretty much the perfect storm for me. With much affection, your country cousin Ivy. Yeah, thanks, Baron Fellows, for giving my name to the kitchen maid that nobody likes. Couldn't make the character named Ivy an eligible heiress. Oh, no. <laughs> well, that's very cool. Yeah, we've heard a lot about Mr. Selfridge. Uh, Evangeline yeah. Holland of EdwardianPromenade.com, I think, was covering it as well. Mm. So, that, yeah, it's definitely a possibility. We uh, still haven't decided what we're doing, apparently. Yeah, we really have so, we, uh, we keep planning to plan on figuring that well, out. Well, we also planned to plan on being finished with this you know, <laughs> right. complete recap last week yeah, so yeah so, i think i think we can cut ourselves a little bit of slack a little bit next we have a telegram from cousin dante uh this would be dante the first <laughs> hello cousins kelly and tom in the final recap episode you mentioned wanting to hear more about the keiths cousin dante the first to the rescue the keiths are a scottish clan who rule the con- the counties of aberdeenshire and caithness these are both in northern Scotland. It is said that a Scottish warrior slew the Danish general Camus at the legendary Battle of Barry in 1010. For this, King Myle Colium uh, II of Scotland dipped three fingers into the blood of the slain and drew them down the shield of the warrior. 
Thereafter, the warrior was named Marb Hachir. Listen, I can't pronounce <laughs> right, that's fine. Scottish uh, stuff. Marb Hachir Camusor Camuslayer. Oh, oh. Marb Hachir Camusor. <laughs> Marb Hachir Cami- uh, or Camuslayer. I have. I'm just sorry. Uh, it has been claimed that ever since this event that the chief of the clan Keith has borne the same mark of three red lines on his arms. The close of the 14th century, Sir William Keith, by exchange of lands with Lord Lindsay, obtained the crag of Dunatar in Kincardineshire, where he built the Dunatar Castle, which became the stronghold of the clan Keith. He died in about 1410. The castle is on a cliff top south of Stonehaven. The line did go through females in the 19th century. Bates mentioned his mother was a Keith, mm. which makes it all accurate. And that is the end of that. <laughs> uh, Cousin Nate also sent a, a link to the Wikipedia article and some others, which I will share with you if I remember. Right. Uh, and if not, perhaps go on Wikipedia and type the word Keith. Oh, hey, that's an idea. <laughs> that's just a tip for those at home. <laughs> from us to you. From from a Wikipedia expert. <laughs> uh, yeah, all right. So uh, way to go, Keiths. Uh, showed that Dane with mm-hmm. thing or two. Uh, you'll notice Denmark still not in charge of Scotland to this day. Yeah, good for good for Scotland. Yeah, well done. And next we have a telegram from Cousin Jessica, who writes, What ho, Kelly and Tom? I must dispense with formalities and thanks for your ever-entertaining podcast, as I can scarce contain my excitement. After years of enjoying the PBS House series and ultimately lamenting that no more have been made, I discovered yesterday that the BBC made another historical reality series in 2011 called Edwardian Farm. I believe the participants are all historians and archaeologists. Yes, please. There is also a Victorian Farm. I love the Manor House series especially, going so far as to request my library stock it back in my college days, and later scoring a VHS set for $3 at a flea market. I've enjoyed revisiting the series thanks to your hilarious recaps and spot-on commentary. It's nice to know that the demographic for such things extends beyond myself and my nerdier cohorts. I haven't watched any of the Farm series yet, but eased my Sunday night Downton withdrawal with... Berkeley Square, a charming little program about the concerns of West End nannies in three different houses in 1902. Having recently been employed in posh child care myself, I find the series oddly relatable. Not all has changed once class differences come into play. Berkeley Square touches upon the ways in which the nanny-to-boarding-school-to-Oxford system shaped people of English society. One character employs his former nanny for his children. Another nanny is tyrannical, locked into a resentment-born relationship with her young charge that it is not difficult to imagine occurring in the era. That said, Berkeley Square is on the whole a pleasant watch, dotted with fun period expression and one pretty great limerick. The characters spend far less time in misery than in other period dramas, <coughs> Downton, which I found a welcome change. Anyhow, I humbly recommend Berkeley Square and the Farm series to you as entertainments and or podcast fodder during the coming Downton-free months. I now cannot help but imagine Kelly and Tom-style commentary as I watch Berkeley and other period shows, and I'm sure you can top your imaginary counterparts. Warmest regards, Cousin Jessica. No, that sounds great. I think we've had that recommended to us mm-hmm. uh, by somebody else, too. But this is the first yeah. I've heard of that uh, Edwardian Farm series, which right, sounds likewise. fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And, and the Berkeley Square sounds very interesting. Uh, unlike most of the other things we're considering, including Downton, it's actually Edwardian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's actually right smack there in uh, the Edwardian period. Yeah, so. yeah. So then there's something to that. 
Next, we have a telegram from Cousin Sarah. Dear Cousins Tom and Kelly, I would like to thank you for the wonderful podcast. I am telegramming, is that a real word, you today, with a distressing problem. Enthralled with Downton Abbey, I have a constant need to discuss it at every waking moment, but surprisingly, or not surprisingly, this puts me at a disadvantage. (laughs) When at family gatherings, I find the only people I can discuss McGee's crazy accent or what a weekend is are the over 65 group. I find myself extremely out of place with people who reminisce about the good old days or who were actually alive during the Edwardian period. (laughs) When I bring it up with the young whippersnappers my own age, I get blank looks and people quickly change the subject. So I propose that you, I, and the fellow listeners of Up Yours Downstairs start YPFDA, Young People for Downton Abbey. Do my next gripe. Isabel Crawley. Just thinking about her makes me cringe. Whenever she and the Dowager appear together, I have a vision of the Dowager strangling her while she splutters, Help! 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 <laughs> Hugh Kelly to do Isabel impression. I guess that's more like, Help! Help! I, I, <laughs> yeah, I don't no, really do Isabel. Well, and Isabel in an emotional state is hard. To, that is that's, true. That's another level of difficulty. Uh, and then on her gravestone, the words, Isabel Crawley, a person who always wanted to help, and then me and the Dowager laughing in the background. <laughs> <laughs> that was from Cousin Sarah. Yeah, thank you, Cousin that's Sarah. That's a pretty vivid uh, fantasy there. <laughs> it's quite a vivid fantasy. Time into that. Well, now that yeah. Matthew's dead, uh, there's no real reason to keep her around. Yeah, I think I think we have a lot of Penelope Wilton goodwill that has somewhat inoculated our dislike for yes, Isabel. Yes, for Isabel. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Um, and yes, I think that uh, the people of ITV and PBS would very much appreciate a YPFDA yeah, organization. I'm sure so, that they would. Yeah. By, by all means. Yeah, we're we're fortunate in that we get all of our Downton Abbey talking about needs met by this podcast and more. Oh like, yeah, because <laughs> anytime we go anywhere, people just want to talk about it. Yeah, they so, do. <laughs> we went to a, a wedding reception a couple weeks ago, yeah, and that was all we wound up talking about because <laughs> several of the guests listened to our podcast. <laughs> oh, the burdens of fame. Well, of moderate. Fame. I said what I said. <laughs> well. Keep saying what you're saying, and let's get back to this recapping. All right. Our next arc is the uh, the arc of Rose. A brand new Crawley suddenly materializes on the horizon. Her name is Rose. She is a uh, cousin slash niece of the Crawley family. Uh, she has been sent to live with a Dowager Countess, supposedly because she hates London. But as soon as she's there, she quickly talks her way into going back to London with Edith without really even coming up with a plausible excuse. Come on. Her, she's like, oh, I'm planning this surprise for my, my parents. No, and nobody even asks what the surprise <laughs> is. <laughs> right. And, like, she says it exactly, like, as suspiciously as I just said it. Like, it's, you know, she's clearly just making it up on the spot. Well, I'm more so because she's young and attractive. I know, I know. It's like, I would have liked them to be like, what is it? And her to be like, uh, uh, a lamp. Uh, no, that, uh, ISIS. It's ISIS. Uh. <laughs> it's an ISIS-shaped lamp. <laughs> right. Is what it is. Lord Grantham would have bought that. Yeah, it's true. Um... Anyway, as soon as she's in London, she takes her first opportunity to get all flappered up Go have sex with a married dude and then go off with that married dude to uh, a, a jazz club, which is all not done, any of these things. Uh, she gets found by Rosamond. Uh, who, they're all staying with Rosamond, by the way. That's where they stay in which, London. You know what? Julian Fellows. You can't have a character named Rosamond and then one named Rose, you stupid jerk face. Oh, well, that's a fair point. I he do like to— th- Ethel and freaking 
I do like to think that <laughs> I just picture Rosman getting the uh, the phone call that and like that the three of them are going to come stay with her. And she's like, oh, wonderful. This will be ever so much fun that she hangs up and just like, shut it down, everybody. And this like wild party in the background. <laughs> like, oh, no. She's like the female Gatsby. <laughs> right. <laughs> Gatsby? What Gatsby? Uh, however, it doesn't appear that Rosamond's actually living that lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, she's, she's pretty scandalized. She considers the jazz club to be like a circle in da- Dante's Inferno, which was actually much worse oh, yeah. than a jazz there club. There was like pools of sulfur yeah. and like burning things like, and people having to eat stuff. Yeah. Dante's Inferno also, to be honest, had fewer minority characters yeah. than that jazz club did. <laughs> That was, we were, you know, the jazz club did have some black people. Yeah, in it, which, which we were excited about. We were pleased to see. Uh, the Louisiana boys, I believe, or the Louisiana something. Their think, band had, yeah. yeah, Louisiana was in the name. Uh, anyway, the, the three good crawlies drag the depraved flapper Rose away from the jazz club on a promise that they won't tell the Dowager Countess about it. Uh, but she figures it out anyway by being awesome and uh, also because they're all terrible mm-hmm. at lying and keeping secrets. Yeah, that's the real reason, I think, that the aristocracy went downhill. Like, <laughs> yeah. They just weren't good at lying. Yeah, clearly. Nobody... Is anybody on Downton Abbey good at lying? Maybe O'Brien. I think O'Brien's pretty good at it, even if she uses it mm-hmm. for weird purposes. Vera Bates used to be great at it. I suppose, yeah. But then she ate a poison pie. Oh, my God. Yeah. Right. Fair enough. Uh, well, we'll see. Yeah. Ma- I don't think any, but well, maybe uh, Edith will be. Yeah. Edith Edith could turn out that Matthew way. Matthew was pretty good at it. We'll see how, we'll see how Sibby turns out. Ah, I hope <laughs> she's mendacious. <laughs> As do we all. Uh, so uh, wouldn't the- it be great if Sibby picked up the, the mantle for Irish independence that her dad <laughs> dropped? That's true. Like, she just runs off at the age of five. <laughs> Aaron, go, bro! Aaron, go fuck yourself, dad! <laughs> uh, so anyway, Rose has been found out, and she gets packed off to the wilds of Scotland with her Aunt Agatha, who we sadly never meet. I know, I really was hoping for some Aunt Agatha action. Yeah, because by all accounts, she's like, you know, she makes the Dowager Countess look like, uh, nice. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know what I was going with that, but I don't either. Yeah, uh, but we don't don't get to see Aunt Agatha now, possibly in the future. Uh, repetitiveness low. This is a normal plot. <laughs> uh, the, <laughs> I mean, you know, that's that was nice about the Rose thing. It was just a, a series of events yeah. that happened yeah. and not an endless drudgery. Uh, the thematic interest high. Rose is really hopefully introducing what we're going to be talking about for the next series or so. Just the post-war generation, which none of the Crawleys quite are. Like, she's, you know, like... Well, she's really part of that lost generation. Right. And so she was, you know, uh, a teenager. And in, well, and in London, too, which I'm sure mm-hmm. is the other big difference between them is that she's she's been there for the 20s, which are only just starting mm-hmm. to make their presence known in Yorkshire. Uh, so that's exciting. And uh, does anything change? Not really, except that Rose exists now, and yeah. we're going to have to get used to her. So, it, And it does a, a decent job mm-hmm. with that. I was very initially concerned with Rose, like in the just just no, in her suddenly yeah, coming but out I, of nowhere. I really think I think it's a good move. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I was I, I became a total uh, convert. 
Yes. The well, and they do a lot of really good stuff with her in the Highlands episode yes, yes. as well. Because yeah. they didn't overplay her in that. Right. And they easily could have made it all about her, but they kind of kept that drama to the periphery. Right. Like, even though it was really a big issue and it was affecting everybody, like mm-hmm. it wasn't the main focus. Right, right. Mini arc. Mosley says he's really good at cricket, but he isn't. Hilarious! <laughs> uh, repetitiveness, high. Stupid. <laughs> it's really Oh, gee, dumb. Mosley's not good at something? What a shock. Yeah. Does anything change? No. Right. Except that Mosley is more ridiculous than we possibly could have imagined. Yeah. It's just, one, I'm like, I know what you're doing, but we could see within the first, like, line Syllable. of this. Uh, yeah, yeah. We were like, oh, we see exactly where this is going. Uh, anyway. Uh, after that, we head into the uh, Journey to the Highlands Christmas special. <laughs> yes. I'm making air quotes for those of you who can't see me. Which is everyone. Uh, the Crawleys in Scotland. So the Crawleys all head off to Scotland as they do every year, except for the last six years, of course. <laughs> right. Uh, but Rose is there with her parents, Susan and Shrimpy, the infamous Shrimpy. Yes. Who hate each other. As it turns out. Susan also hates Rose, though she is mainly, at least in her own mind, worried about Rose, who she feels like she can't control. And they never really got explicit, but I'm like, do you know she's been banging dudes, like, all over the place? Because that's kind of important. Like, she's not out yet. Yeah. So yeah. the fact that she's out banging dudes before she's even been brought out. You like, know, but she's obviously aware of something because she got, you know, she was being punished at the beginning well, and she for does some call her sort a of slut. A, yeah. So. Yeah. Anyway. She did show that side boob. I know. <laughs> anyway. Shrimpy tells Lord Grantham that all of his money is gone because he wasn't as smart as Lord Grantham <laughs> and didn't modernize. So he's going to sell everything and live as a diplomat uh, in India. Right. So the Crawleys agree to take in Rose to keep everybody from killing each other in Bombay and to fill in the narrative space left by Sybil's death. Right. <laughs> uh, they also have a new appreciation for each other's marriage, realizing that their lives could be much worse. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, repetitiveness is low. You know, we get to see them go off together and do something, which is right, interesting. Right, Thematic interest is moderate. You know, we're seeing the decline of the great houses again through Shrimpy and Susan losing their house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, and then it's also setting up the new the new generation to be a contrast again. Right. Does anything change? Uh, well, we hope you like Rose because she's going to be around plenty. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and we do. I wonder yeah, that if actually- they'll make her less scandalous. Like when she's a mm, series regular, this, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, like I think I think they might. I think the idea is maybe that uh, she's learned her lesson from being sent off with Aunt Agatha or whatever, yeah. and that she's going. You know, like she'll still be you know wild, right, but not right. like wild. Uh huh. But I mean, I, you know, I honestly don't know, which is pleasant. Well, she's managed not to get pregnant, which is. Uh yeah. point in her favor and i have to say reading through this now and i i feel like i didn't appreciate it enough embedded in the whole christmas special but with just all this pulled out by itself like i liked the susan and shrimpy and uh uh-huh. no them. i, I mean i just i would really like more that. of them yeah i yeah. found that family because it's it's a dysfunctional family dynamic that's very different from the way that the the main players are dysfunctional right you know i mean it's just a totally different approach yeah yeah. And their approach to problem solving, not only is it different from, you know, the Crawleys, it's different from the Dowagers. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Anyway, Susan and Shrimpy, we enjoyed you. Yeah. Please come back. Yeah. Possibly next Christmas. <laughs> uh, next, we've got a mini arc. Uh, 
in which a horrible cat witch appears downstairs, uh, hits on Branson for a while, and then vanishes into the ether. Yes. Uh, what was her name? Edna. Edna. Good Lord. Edna was just a horrible person that had no purpose. If I ever met Julian <laughs> Fellows, I'd kiss him, and then I'd slap him, and then I'd kiss him again. <laughs> yeah. And then I'd probably slap him one more time. You know, I think I think it should balance out. Yeah. Because there's, there's, there's an Edna for every rose, a uh-huh. rose for every Edna. Yeah. It just seems to be how it's, how it's <laughs> going to be. But this, this was just awful. Um, and again, a recapitulation of what was already one of the lesser arcs in the past with the, the maid that lord grantham kissed that time oh yeah yeah jane yeah like that already wasn't great and then this was worse yeah this is much well because that made sense because they were both like lord grantham and jane were both like oh like after this war i feel all at loose end she's like my husband's gone he's like i don't get what's going on in my world anymore right like they had a motivation yeah and look branson was sad but this bit like what did you think was gonna happen right and He's not interested in leapfrogging you up the chain of command here. <laughs> right. Nor is he really interested in you. Like, he just was just so confused by her that he didn't turn her down. Yeah. Because he was like, what's your what's your game, you weird-faced woman? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, before we wrap up the final mini-arcs from the uh, Highlands episode, we're going to read some more letters. There's only three more pages of them. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> First, we have a letter from Sheila. Dear Cousins Kelly and Tom, greetings from London. I won't relate my exact address as it is not in a particularly fashionable neighborhood. I have long enjoyed your podcast. I recently rewatched the whole series of Downton Abbey and re-listened to your recaps. Both are like fine wine. They age well. I felt compelled to write in in light of all of the recent tragic events. If you haven't heard about the trip to the Highlands, I suggest you put this missus beside for now as I do not want to be the one to relate the bad news for you. If, however, you've heard the news, I shall speak freely. I have thoroughly enjoyed the third season, primarily for the character development the season has featured. Who would have thought that the three characters I found most annoying, that is Thomas, Edith, and Branson, would become my favorites? Thomas seems to have left behind his fruitless schemes, probably as he has now achieved his highest aspiration, ballot to the Earl. Rob James Collier deserves many awards and a full day off for his compelling performance. (laughs) Edith this season has truly embraced the modern single girl life that was evolving in the 20s. She has a life outside the family and has left behind the petty sisterly sniping. I wish Mary would do the same. Last season, Branson annoyed the crap out of me and I honestly couldn't see what Sybil saw in him except a way to rebel against her family. However, since Sybil's death, sniff, poor Sybil, he has matured and I truly fell for him in his grief. All that aside, the matter that troubles me most about the final episode, the reason I write to you right now is one I fear I might be overlooked while your grief is fresh, but I hope it will be given due consideration in your discussions. What has become of Molesley? The poor man had finally made it to the big house, valet to the air no less, and it's all been ripped away from him. With his delusions and his problem with alcohol, I could see him going postal all over the abbey. Looking forward to your views on the latest episodes, and I shall be relying on you to get me through the long hiatus. Your unfashionable London cousin, Sheila. No, it's a good question. That is a good question. How do you solve a problem like Molesley? Yeah, I mean, because to an extent, you can just say uh, Molesley went off and got a job somewhere else. Or he could go work for Isabel again. Right. Well, except, yeah, but I don't know what he would do for Isabel. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess he could. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's things to be done. I mean, Lord knows. We'll find out. Yeah. Does, Does he know how to cook? Probably not. No. I don't think he knows how to do anything. <laughs> right. Well, William could go down, cook for Isabel. You mean Alfred? Yes. 
William. I understand why right. you said that. I, I do too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Alfred could go down and cook for Isabel. Mosley could become, uh, you know, fourth footman or whatever he's qualified <laughs> for. And uh, he could keep, uh, you know, falling into custard all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> That's apparently what Baron Fellows likes about Mosley. <laughs> Next, we have a telegram from Cousin Tracy, who writes, Dear Cousins, OMG, I love your podcast, and I look forward to it every week. Anyway, I'm not going to comment on the finale yet, because I need to rewatch it and the episode before it to fully digest everything that has happened. I will say, however, that I am not happy about the addition of that trollop-in-training, Rose. She has a freaky smile, and she seems to be the human definition of the word loose. I am writing to recommend a series that I found on Hulu. It is called The Supersizers Go and The Supersizers Eat. Basically, it's a BBC show where a restaurant critic and a comedian take a period of time in British history and they eat and live as if it is that period. They are hilarious and the show is actually chock full of information. My husband and I started with the Victorian period and spent a weekend watching the rest of the shows. It's a must-see and that although it is not strictly Edwardian, I think that you will both enjoy it. Enjoy, Cousin Tracy. So a couple things. One, I think, obviously, we've just said that we like Rose, and we also think that she will be less loose as the series progresses. Yes, indeed. Uh, Yeah, I was also going to say, she's not a trollop in training. She's a full-blown trollop. Her training is over. Yeah. She's, she, the student has become the master. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And yeah, uh, the supersizers go, the supersizers eat. Sounds great to me. Yeah. I love eating and going. <laughs> right. As, as do I. Uh, next, we have a telegram from Cousin Patricia. Dear Cousins. Blurg! <laughs> I hate Julian Fellows. I am so mad. What a big British jerk butt. I wish it were proper to curse instead of this weird made up language I use around my children. Frack! Why Matthew? Oh, wait. He did his thing and gave Downton an heir and his money. Now his job is done and Julian Fellows can kill him and rid the estate a middle-class lawyer who actually has some sense about how things should be run. Oh, and bail the family out when they lost their fortune. We can only hope and pray that Tom will continue to be the voice of reason. But then again, he's just a former Irish chauffeur. Maybe Shrimpy's example will keep Lord Grantham in check, but probably not. Your very angry cousin, Patricia. Patricia, I hope I did your anger enough justice in that reading. Yes. And uh, I put this in here just to reiterate the fact this is all Dan Stevens's fault. Right. I mean, we don't like how Julian Fellows handled it, but like all these things you're saying about Matthew, like, yeah, he did do all these things, which was great, but it's literally Dan Stevens' fault that he can't continue to do it. Right. So it was not Julian Fellows that killed him off. It was mm-hmm. Dan Stevens that killed himself off. Now, Julian Fellows, once again, terrible job. <laughs> right. I really would have rather like had them just not do anything and then next season be like, oh, remember when Matthew died? Nope. Okay. <laughs> Matthew. Matthew. It sounds familiar. It does sound very familiar. <laughs> <laughs> Did we have a footman named Matthew once? Did they? No. Oh. That would have been confusing. That would have been really confusing. I mean, Rose and Rosamond It's already bad, bad enough. enough that Anna and Bates are supposed to be Bates and Bates. Yeah, that's true. I don't care if he's me and Bates. <laughs> Bates and Bates, attorneys at law. <laughs> Baits and Bates, private investigators. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now we're talking. Like Jake and the Fat Man. <laughs> that was what it was about, right? Jake I, and the Fat Man? I haven't the slightest idea what Jake I don't and- think I ever watched it. There were just commercials on some TV shows we had taped off of the TV. Yeah. Kojak was the one that there were commercials. Do you know what Jake and the Fat Man was about? <laughs> if so, we want to hear your story. <laughs> Next, we have a telegram from Cousin Michelle who writes... 
I have read a few places and thought myself that by the surgery Mary had, they mean either fibroid removal or she possibly had scar tissue on her cervix removed. Either is probably possible for the time period, but I don't think Julian Fellows really thought about it due to his vagueness. Shocking. I don't think anything could be done about fallopian tubes at the time without destroying them due to the lack of ultrasound technology. I could be way off, of course, but I don't doubt it. Cousin Michelle. I like how uh, this is obviously the letter I was referring to before. I like how somehow what I recalled about this letter (laughs) was lasers. (laughs) Right. Despite the fact (laughs) the word laser does not appear. (laughs) I was like fibroid ultrasound laser. Yeah. So that's that's a theory. Again, we would really like some. Solid, yeah. Solid feedback well, on that, you know, because I've done some research, but even the research I've done is only going like that's going to tell me what it might be if that operation happened today. Mm-hmm. You know, WebMD does not tell you what, how could this be treated if this was 1923. <laughs> when you do that, they just have a hand come out of the computer and slap you. <laughs> Back to the Highlands, right? And actually, not really. Back to Downton. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Some fat guy shows up. Hits on Mrs. Patmore for reasons that are unclear. Uh, her feelings are also unclear. But anyway, that guy's gone now because he was kind of a man whore. Right. And it's not like she's going to have to see him every week for years when he makes his deliveries. <laughs> right. So nothing to worry about there. Yeah, it's fine. Repetitiveness, kind of high. Yeah. Just relationship drama. And nothing changes. Yeah. The, you know, the only really good thing about this arc is that we do get some really great scenes of Mrs. Patmore and Mrs. Hughes debating the relative merits for women of their age to get married. Right. And it is really interesting because at their age, they know that a man is literally like looking for his own servant and yeah. you know it's it's just a fun picture of two women that are like why should we give up our relative autonomy mm-hmm. you know in in the lives that we've built for ourselves to go off and cook and clean for some dude yeah yeah no that's true sisters doing it for themselves and yeah. also the crawlies <laughs> yeah no that part of it's good and and i wish that uh you know fat guy had not been so weird i I, guess i wish i do wish it had made more sense and i think that having him be sort of like a ladies man with a little bit of a cop-out yeah just because i mean like that's fine i get that character like it makes sense but you know it's a much less interesting conflict yeah because if the only reason she has to not go is both apparently her reservations, which he doesn't make clear until she's found out that he's going around kissing everything on two legs. Yes. Uh, well, I, w- I mean, it was so unclear that I almost kind of think that maybe she actually was interested in it and is just saying that to cover up to Mrs. Hughes. You I don't know. know. But like, they I don't, don't think they don't that's have a- that relationship, right. though. I mean, right. maybe that's how it was intended, but that's not. Yeah. It just. Yeah. That's not how my fan fiction goes. <laughs> Good to know. Then we've got a mini arc. Dr. Clarkson thinks about proposing to Isabel. She shoots him down. Competitiveness is moderate. And does anything change? No, they uh, don't get married. Nope. So there's that. Really? I just, I'm just pondering an alternate uh, history now where they do get married. And... I would be more interested in that, frankly. Yeah. I think that would be cool if Matthew's gone. Yeah. Because no, would... I like Dr. Clarkson. Oh, yeah. I like him, too. and wouldn't mind seeing him around, mm-hmm. but... I also yeah. wouldn't want to inflict Isabel on any man. Right. That's true. No, I, I hope I hope uh, that uh, Baron Fellows thought long and hard about his plans for Isabel for the upcoming... Doubt it. I, <laughs> did he think long and hard about his plans to kill off Matthew? <laughs> no, he did not. True. Uh, 
they're all mini arcs from here on out. Yeah, but uh, the next clear. one is Anna learning a reel from Rose. Anna and Bates kindly just, you know, let Rose vent and smoke a cigarette with them. Yeah. And give her, like, give her some mints. They're like, no, no, no. Here. Here's some schnapps, too. Like, knock yourself out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, repetitive is low. I don't think anybody else has learned how to dance. Yeah. On Downton Abbey. Yeah. And does anything change? Uh, no, just kind of a cute story. Yeah. Bates thinks she's adorable. We think she's adorable. Yeah. You know, we, once again, Anna, come live with us and be our love. <laughs> yeah. No, just finally getting back to hints of the reason we didn't use to hate. Bates. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Was that he and Anna had a very cute thing going on. Yes. Uh, the next. Min- <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I forgot about Mac O'Brien. <laughs> yes. This is our next mini arc is O'Brien versus Mac O'Brien. Uh, so O'Brien and her Scottish counterpart like each other at first, then they hate each other. Mac O'Brien tries to get O'Brien drunk, but O'Brien is not an idiot and passes the drink to Molesley, who is an idiot, and gets hammered. So that's, you know, hilarious, yeah. Molesley. Mac O'Brien, no. Regular O'Brien. Regular O'Brien, then talks her way into Susan's good graces, uh, because O'Brien apparently would rather be trapped in an embassy thousands of miles away with two people that hate each other than stay at Downton for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, well, she wants to travel. She said I mean, that. she does say she wants to travel. It just sounds like the worst way to travel to me. No, but the, you're right. This she is does, why we never leave the house, Tom. You're right. I'm, I'm confusing my own hatred of travel with hers. Yes. That's, that's totally fine. Um, but yeah, the Mac O'Brien man, the weird character. Woof. <laughs> well, yes. Woof. That character looks like Buzz's girlfriend. Yes. She does look like Buzz's girlfriend. Also, like, she has some sort of horrible wasting disease. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, repetitiveness uh, medium. And does anything change? Yep. Shoban is Shogun. <laughs> Say goodbye to O'Brien. Godspeed. Oh, I'm going to miss her. Yeah. She, Especially her bangs. I will miss her as well. No, I actually, I, I wish she was coming back. Yeah. She is, even in her, even though her character made little sense this season. Yeah. All that didn't make sense was her hatred of Tom- Thomas. Yeah, that's true. Once you take that as a given, her character made perfect sense. Right. And I mean, just the performance is always good. Yeah. Yeah. The bangs, man. Yeah. Bangs. No, it, it's going to throw off the balance downstairs. So we'll have to it see how that... It certainly is, because they'll have to... In, like, because Thomas has been retconned. Right. So, like, they need a new pure evil. Right. We'll see what they come up with. We've had an like, applicant for the new footman position, sir, is uh, Mr. Lucifer. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it'll be Alfred. He showed signs of inheriting yeah, his true. aunt's uh, scheminess. He called the police and what that. Yeah. But he's so dumb. I know. Well. So was O'Brien, technically. He could start scheming to take over his cook, I suppose. Yeah. I have no idea what's going to happen there. We'll There's see. no point. Uh, another mini arc, the Downton servants win a tug of war match against some carnies. <laughs> Who make their traditional carny revenge by beating up Thomas, who saves their first target, Jimmy Kent. Jimmy then makes peace with Thomas. Uh, repetitive is low. Yeah. Almost nobody makes up with Thomas. And does anything change? Yeah, everybody's fine with gay people now. Hooray! Literally everyone. That's right. Literally. They solved, hey, it got better. <laughs> it did get better. <laughs> uh, that brings us to our final mini arc of the season. Matthew is driving, then he dies. Uh, repetitiveness low. First automobile accident of the show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, does anything change? Uh, well, Matthew's dead. So there's, there's that. But will anybody really miss him? D 
deep down. You mean on the show or do you mean us? I mean both. Uh, um, <laughs> I guess I think it's fair to say that Isabel will miss him. Yeah, I think Mary will miss like the idea of him. Yeah. Well, because she said something really telling, I thought, this, this season about mm-hmm. how she's not really nice and he thinks she is really nice and she, you know, wishes she could be that all the time. Right. But I mean, well... This may be revealing too much about why you like Mary so much. <laughs> no, but I mean, I felt that, you know, I'm not a particularly nice person. I don't feel like. Right. And having somebody around who makes you feel like maybe you are a nice person definitely makes you nicer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then having them not be there can make you be much unnicer. Yeah. Except that she wasn't nice at all this season. No, that's true. Not much. Well, I think she'll miss the delusion that she's occasionally nice. Well, certainly true. No, I mean, you know, she'll miss him. They did, you know, get married and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Is her baby daddy. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's just, it it just is interesting how, oh, because I was with Patricia's rant before. I just don't, he just didn't seem to fill a role anymore somehow, Mm -hmm. even though he was like, as he did save the estate. Right. In that sense, he did, but it just... I don't know. He did complete his usefulness. Yeah. I think, uh, well, you know, you had a good run, Matthew. Uh, and uh, everybody buckle up. Yeah. I guess that's, that's the lesson. Don't be so thrilled by your new son that you fail to see the truck barreling toward you on a country road. Yeah. Is that a good, uh, good metaphor for uh, life? Mm, I don't think I would go quite that far. Fair enough. So that's our recap. We still have some more letters. These are yeah. these are some of our favorite letters. Highlights. We've, we've saved them for last. Uh, these are the winners of the Cuzzy Awards <laughs> for best letters received. Yes. So uh, go. Uh, not, let's let's start it, Tom. All right. First, we have a telegram from cousin Anne. Writes, dear Kelly and Tom, cousin Anne from Charlotte, North Carolina, writing to say thanks for another hilarious season of Downton Abbey recaps. As much as I enjoyed watching episodes of Downton Abbey, I enjoyed them so much more thanks to your recaps. So often I would be watching something on the show and would think, I can't wait to hear what Kelly and Tom will have to say about this. And when I would listen, I would laugh out loud at your commentary. Everything from your praise for Edith's new fashion sense to your affection for Mrs. Hughes and your impatience with Daisy and Ivy to murder prison to Shank Bates to your disparaging of Isis, you seem to read my mind. I never disparage Isis. I know, baby. (laughs) For this final episode, I was especially overjoyed by your take on demon slash assassin slash alien maid Edna, <laughs> whom, I'm lo- whom I loved to hate from the moment she appeared on screen right up to the horrible scene between Edna and Shirtless Tom. My delight at Shirtless Tom was almost, almost ruined by her inappropriate proposition and kiss. Ugh, I'm so glad she got fired. But I can't wait to see the love interests that they cast for Tom and Mary in season four. The romances on Downton Abbey are one of the main reasons I watch. I'm even starting to like Anna and Bates again, now that he's out of prison and not acting like Tom Selleck in An Innocent Man. I was, however, very distressed that you couldn't bring yourselves to comment and make observations on that final scene between Mary and Matthew in the hospital as they bill and coo over their new baby boy. 
As much as I hated the soppy dialogue that Matthew was spouting, I was even more distracted by the multiple babies that seemed to be switching places in his and Mary's arms while they were talking. Initially, the baby was small-headed with wispy blondish red hair. Then, the baby was fat-headed with a fuller head of brownish hair. Then, suddenly, the baby was a brunette with a medium-sized head. And in a shot of the baby's face, we saw a round-headed, fat-cheeked baby who would have never come from the loins of Mary and Matthew. I was yelling at the television, What is going on with the multiple babies? But was this continuity error noticeable only to me? It seemed to be a very sloppy detail in what is otherwise an impeccable show. The baby babies they have playing Sibby are lovely babies who resemble each other and the parents, Tom and Sybil. The scene where Carson picks her up out of the crib to comfort her was probably my favorite scene in the entire series. It shows us what a kind man he truly is, someone who can literally stop a baby from crying. I would love to know how he got his job at Downton Abbey in the first place. The jump from cheerful Charlie's vaudevillian to Big House Butler is not an obvious career transition. Another lingering question is, what happened to put O'Brien and Thomas off of each other? In season two, they were as thick as thieves, but in season three, they seemed to start the season hating one another. Did I miss the scene where they broke up? Please help me to understand. Again, my thanks for an admiration for all the great work you have done on these podcasts. I'm looking forward to more in the future. Would you ever consider doing some recaps of Jane Austen, Pride and Prejudice movies, or television miniseries, or the Sense and Sensibility movies? I realize they are not Edwardian, but I love them so and would love to hear you talk about them. Thank you, Cousin Anne. P.S. One of the details I love about your podcast is when you tell us where else we might have seen the other Downton Abbey actors. For example, you mentioned the actor who plays Tom was also in the miniseries Rome. I watched that series, and I don't remember him. What role did he play? In future podcasts, I would love for you to share some research about the careers of the actors from the show and tell us other movies or TV shows that we could rent or download to see our Downton Abbey favorites. For example, I would love to see the actors who play Bates and Mrs. Hughes and Mary in other, more contemporary roles. Or to be surprised to realize, as I did while watching the final episode, that the actress who played Susan was also the snotty sister in Persuasion. All right. Well, thank you, Cousin Anne. First things first. Yes. The Cousy Award goes to cousin ann this is the downton baby cousy award <laughs> for pointing out inconsistencies in these actors playing the babies mm-hmm. which we had not noticed before we did not yeah uh, i can only assume some baby got sick well it's really really hard to work with babies yeah um tell me about it <laughs> well not from that perspective but from a, a legal perspective i mean it's, yeah they're very very strict about how long you can have a baby on set then how am i gonna make this baby a star well you can't <laughs> no i'm sorry i i forget i read this once but it's something like you've got an hour a day with the baby and that's all you can use them for that seems silly because really babies could hang out forever that's uh they don't give a fuck (laughs) when employing babies for wages the rules are very strict all right look that's just it's just the way it is like a waste of a bunch of babies to me (laughs) put them to work straight out the womb (laughs) that's the very fair point what's gonna happen to my baby this podcast Straight down into the coal mines brought to you by the heritage foundation <laughs> uh yeah probably we won't get into jane austen stuff people always ask yeah the, and you know what? the demand listen, is overwhelming listen but... we're gonna go ahead and make a blanket statement here we're not gonna do jane austen stuff it's yeah. too far back it's... there's too much of it yeah we love it also we, we do we really do but it just doesn't fit into the theme of this podcast i'll i'll watch it right now oh, that's yeah. not the issue that's what we're doing when we're done <laughs> um yeah so we're not going to do that 
Right. As far as uh, Downton actors and other roles, there is a feature on our Facebook page, which I don't think I did at all for Series 3, mm. uh, but it's before they were Downton, and there's photos of people from like different things that they did. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting to think about that, maybe for the next series. Yeah. Or no, you know, during the is, hiatus. Or just as a like thing yeah. to throw around for a little filler. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey. I, I can tell you that you can see Hugh Bonneville in an episode of the PBS mystery series Cadfile starring Derek Jacoby, which I watched, well, my parents watched very uh, religiously as it were, <laughs> as, as a child. It's a murder mystery set in a medieval monastery. And Hugh Bonneville Snooze. plays a heavily bearded, boisterously drunk village person, as I recall. Okay. Quite a change. Yeah. I was literally watching that for my own entertainment and happened to see Hugh Bonneville, which I think that's about the first time I've stumbled across any of the Downton actors that oh, I didn't really? already know were I going to I think I be. have, but I don't remember. Yeah. As far as who Alan Leach played on Rome, uh, his character's name was... Marcus Agrippa? Yeah, it was Agrippa. Yeah. I, I was thinking Marcus Aurelius, but no. that's from something completely yeah, different. Yeah, he was later. Yeah, he was the, the Stoicism guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. So Marcus Agrippa, he was uh, doing it with Octavia, Octavian's sister. Right. And, you know, other, and was, other stuff. And was a uh, general and was, he was, kind of, he was buds he was, with yeah, Octavian, he was, right? He was, he was one of Octavian's military buds. I yeah. think we've talked about this. I, I'm getting deja vu. I okay. Think we've, I think we've discussed this before, but just in case you weren't paying attention, that's who he plays. <laughs> right. Which we never are. So yeah. we expect nothing more. Yeah. If we are repeating ourselves, we have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Next up, we have a telegram from Cousin Amy. Hello to both of you. First, I want to thank you for entertaining me at work. I find my time spent designing seems to fly by listening to the two of you, even if I may sound a bit crazy from time to time, as I break out into extremely loud laughter in what is normally an excruciatingly quiet workplace. I heard about your podcast from the boys over at Bald Move. My husband works on Breaking Bad, and when he is off filming, I listen to them to feel a bit more connected to the hubby. They mentioned you guys several times, so I moved over to your recaps. And I'm pretty happy I did. You two are fucking hilarious. <laughs> Full disclosure, I have not listened to all podcasts yet, so my comment may be addressed in the ones I listened to today. And I will look like a total asshole for sending this message. But here goes. I love how you make fun of Laura Linney's intro to the show, even though I will say I love her. I have also noticed from time to time you mentioned Downton pushing the limits of what PBS will allow. The reason I love Laura Linney is my introduction to her was on a mini series that aired on PBS called Tales of the City. It was adapted from a series of books about San Francisco in the 70s and then 80s and everything that could happen during that time period. Drugs, bathhouses, cock rings. Very rarely will PBS push the envelope, but the irony is they have, and they did it with Laura Linney. Again, many, many thanks for making my workday exceedingly better, Cousin Amy. Thank you. So uh, Amy gets the Cuzzy Award of Linny Lover, <laughs> yes. which is a bit of a double entendre given uh, the references to San Francisco's <laughs> swing and sex scene, yeah. uh, which does continue to this day. Right. It's, I don't think it's quite as exciting as it was in the 70s and 80s. Nah, man. They've sold out. Well, also, you know, AIDS. <laughs> so... Um, Bankers are taking over, man. <laughs> Yeah, no, and uh, I have not yet read Tells of the City, but I'm excited to hear that there's a Linny-centric adaptation. Yeah, that is uh, that is news that's to me. That's Armistead Maupin, everyone who doesn't live in the Bay Area, is the guy that wrote that. <laughs> yep. And uh, yeah, that's really cool. We're happy to help all of our, our working cousins out there get through the day. And we would also, by the way, uh, like to thank Cousin Amy's husband for working on Breaking Bad. Yeah, because that's like our favorite show. It really is. Yeah. No the offense only reason to we don't, Yeah, the only reason we don't have a Breaking Bad podcast is because there's already, like, a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. As well there should be. Yeah. Well, I don't think we could do it. It's that we, I don't even know how, like, it wouldn't be our thing because no, it's too harrowing. Like, well, and we like enjoying it, I think, more. Well, yeah, you know? than analyzing. Yeah. Yeah. And now, uh, if you do the honor summits, our final Cuzzy Award, this is actually the ultimate Cuzzy Award. Yes, indeed. The Cousin of the Week Ultimate Cuzzy Award. That's right. Uh, so get ready. And it goes to Cousin Deidre, who writes, Just wanted to tell you guys that while listening to your latest episode with my two-year-old son in the car, he joined in with you chanting, Spank Bates! Spank Bates! Spank Bates! I about had a car accident. I was laughing so hard. Let's just hope he doesn't pick up any more colorful words. Great episode as usual, Cousin Deidre. <laughs> <laughs> amazing yes and the only reason you aren't hearing both of us laughing hysterically is because we already read this ourselves yeah. and spent about 10 minutes laughing spank bait spank bait kudos to you cousin deirdre's son yes that is fantastic we're happy uh we're happy to be setting him on the straight and narrow concerns baits <laughs> that's right for you, the foreseeable these future. lessons need to be drilled in young yes baits bad <laughs> yes uh and we also hope that he doesn't pick up any more colorful words from us because we're yeah terrible we're not terrible role models we're not aimed, linguistically speaking we're not designed for two-year-olds yeah but hey it's your your kid hey yeah knock yourself out yeah it's not our place if you want to if you want to name your kid sybil you want to baptize catholic you want to listen to our podcast we're not gonna no we're not yeah, going to that's right all right well thanks so much to everybody who wrote in yeah we're more or less caught up at this point right. which is a relief <laughs> yeah uh but it's just you know we get so many great letters we're sorry we weren't able to share everything that we get mm-hmm. but we really enjoy hearing from you, so please keep writing. It's upyoursdownstairs at gmail.com. You can also tweet, aka Carrier Pigeon, at us. We're at five, the number five, Maggie Smiths. And on Facebook, we are Up Yours Downstairs. Just search for it, you lazy bums. <laughs> um, before we go, we do want to remind you once again that you can enter to win a Kindle Fire from our podcast network, Bald Move. That's right. You just need to tweet at Bald Move and hashtag it with Kindle or Fire or podcast or something like that. Right. And you could win a Kindle Fire. Yeah. And you go to their website, uh, and I went and I found this. Uh, you, you may have to hunt around slightly to find the entry form on their website, but it is there. Yeah. Find so the if entry you tweet, form. you enter your tweet in the entry form, and then you win a Kindle Fire, maybe. Right. Probably. There'll, there'll be a random drawing. Potentially. But uh, that's a pretty sweet prize. But I mean, think about it. People are lazy. Like, I bet all like all of the listeners at Bald Move like have heard this, you know? <laughs> right. And only like 10 of them have actually entered. <laughs> so uh, how do you like those odds? Right. No, odds may not be accurate. We really don't. <laughs> uh, yeah, so definitely do that. And definitely check out Bald Move. Um, it mm-hmm. looks like I may be subbing in on some of their podcasts in the next couple of weeks. So we'll definitely keep you posted on that. Yeah. If you'd like to hear me talking some more. <laughs> so that wraps up. In its entirety, our Series 3 coverage on Downton Abbey. Yeah. It's, it's been a wacky ride. It's been a wacky ride. It's been fun. It's I been think exciting. We're looking forward to a little break from Downton at this point. Yes. We do tend to watch it like three times in its entirety. <laughs> yeah. So, so we, we, we couldn't really do it anymore. It is a bit of a... A bit of a long hiatus ahead of us. It is uh, a very long hiatus. Yeah. So uh, stay tuned. We will finally now decide <laughs> right. what we're going to be covering. And we'll let you guys know so you can keep up with us. And until next time, up, up yours, yours downstairs, downstairs. Luncheon out.